Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beechler of Beechler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beechler on PeoriaLife.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. My name is Greg McCoy. I'm here with a star of the show, Brett Beechler. Good morning, Greg. And today we have a special guest. Uh, Brett, you want to introduce him? Sure. It is my father, Terry Beechler. Uh, been in the business since 1958. Eight. Okay. Maybe 59. <laughs> and, and I brought him along today to uh, elaborate a little bit, um, quite a bit on uh, the, the world of ethanol in our industry. Um, we're going to explain, he's going to go along and explain uh, the good and the not so good about ethanol, um, mainly not so good about ethanol, but I want to bring him in. He is a, he's got a plethora of information stored up inside of his um, big noggin of his a plethora a plethora of information <laughs> and uh i just wanted i wanted pure and, and beyond to be able to understand what goes on with the science of of ethanol all right so. that, that sounds good but first we wanted to start out with just a few minutes of hearing uh terry's story and how i get into the business and maybe just a few minutes of beachler history okay sure i started um uh, i guess i was acting up at home going back to the summer of seventh grade and my mother said maybe you ought to go to work and uh, so I went to work for my dad in, my, in the service station. It was an old two-bay location that's at, uh, at the university and War Memorial Intersection, like our current location is. Are you willing to share how long ago that was? I mean, mm, if you don't have to, if you know it. 19, <laughs> summer of, uh, probably summer of 1959. So I've got a couple of years in there. Um, <clears throat> and the station was owned at that time by? Yeah, my father owned the location then. I had an uncle work there and, uh, and many other employees through the years that... Uh, um, just very interesting group of people over time. Learned a lot. Uh, I spent a lot of years uh, pulling wrenches, mechanical side of the business. I haven't done that for several years, quite a few years, actually. Um, I've maintained certifications as a master technician. Um, I've let that go now because I'm, I'm not hands-on so much anymore. But um, um, over the years, uh, the building was rebuilt in 1970 into a five-bay business with a small convenience store and a car wash. Then going back a couple of years ago now, we added on our vehicle maintenance center to increase capacity and uh, cater to the, uh, the quick service, quick loop uh, side of the business. Also gave us the opportunity to expand our service desk area and make it a much nicer location or a nicer environment uh, for customers. And Great. Before we built the new building, we had the mix of convenience store kind of background noise, so to speak, uh, along with uh, working with the service desk and service customers. So it's been a good improvement for both convenience store business and uh, our service business. Good, good. Well, thanks. I think sometime it'd be good to have one whole segment, half hour segment, just on the history of Beechler's and, and the history of the industry and how things have developed over the years. Mm -hmm. be very, there's been a lot of changes. Oh, yeah. Particularly in cars and business. I know my dad started the business back in 1951. He had 25 bucks to mm -hmm. get the thing rolling. That would be virtually impossible right now. That's uh, regulatory things and government and taxes and payroll. You used to pencil it in on a piece of paper and put a slip in the cash register, and then the bookkeeper took over from there. 
uh, now just the payroll things become a rather complex Nightmare. situation yeah. compared to what it was, you know, 40, 50 years ago. And all facets of the business are like that. Yeah. Very difficult to walk in and fire something up and, well, and make it work. Let's put that on the calendar. We'll have a, a whole show based, based just on that. I think that'd mm -hmm. be great. But uh, anyway, today, the main topic, as uh, Brett mentioned earlier, was ethanol. Um, ethanol, as most people know, is an additive that is put in our gas. Mm -hmm. And we just want to talk about <clears throat> the pluses and minuses of that. And maybe we should just start out with, why do we have ethanol in our gas? Well, originally, going back <clears throat> probably into the 80s, um, it was uh, treated as an oxygenated uh, for fuel to reduce um, emissions. And uh, it was added, uh, and obviously there's a very big market for farmers. If they could, uh, um, uh, in some way, either incentivize or force and mandate the use of ethanol. And, of course, that started back in the early 80s. We've been working with it. And, of course, the idea also was uh, as an experiment to make it a viable product. Well, this experiment's been going on since the early 80s, and uh, um, probably some of the one plus that it does increase octane in fuel a couple points if a 10% mixture is added to it. But uh, from that point on, uh, it becomes very questionable uh, other benefits. And on the other side of it, uh, you often see editorials written in the paper. Um, most of that stuff's falsehoods or half-truths about the ethanol. Uh, you look at the science side, the, the list goes on and on, uh, probably starting from what a consumer sees. And they pull up to a gas pump and virtually every pump in the country, particularly in Illinois, um, it's required or mandated that they have 10% ethanol in there. Right off the top, you lose 3 to 5% of your mileage. That comes back to the science uh, behind ethanol. If we look at gasoline, it's about 100 111,000 BTUs in a gallon of gasoline. Diesel is about 130,000. That's why we get better mileage with diesel. Ethanol only produces about 65 to 70,000 BTUs. So if you throw that in a gasoline, it's a, kind of the equivalent of going to burn coal going to burn wood or you're going to burn paper to heat your house. All of them make heat, but there's one source, coal, natural gas, much higher ability to create heat. And that's what this is all about, you know, when you get down to the science of it. So anyway, uh, the net result is some loss in fuel mileage by customer. And it's small enough, the customer can't measure that. You know, you measure it in a lab or over a period of time, uh, your wallet's going to be lighter because you've spent more money on the fuel. They use ethanol in Indy cars and methanol in Indy cars and NASCAR uses some of it. But uh, if you go to a higher percentage of ethanol, the gas mileage just drops to nothing. Uh, the the uh, E85 is a good example. I know, quoting a consumer reports uh, test they did several years ago, about a third of your mileage goes away. So if you're getting 18 maybe miles per gallon in your truck, you put in 85% ethanol, probably drops down to 12 or 13 miles per gallon in the pricing end of it. So, so what's the big push? For those who are pushing pushing ethanol and keep it in place. Mm -hmm. First of all, there's the economic interest, of yeah. course, for farmers and such. But they can't just come out and say, well, we want to keep this in place because we make a lot of money from it. They well, about 40% about of our corn crop right now goes into ethanol. I, th I saw a number sometime back, I think it was a, um, a radio program. I, I've worked the numbers and verified it. You roll in with an E85 and fill it up, it takes something like four or 500 pounds of corn to make that ethanol fill that tank. So I mean, you can look at it from an ethical issue here, 40% of the corn crop going on, yeah, we don't eat field corn, we don't, but it's in a lot of our food products. High fructose corn syrup, for example, is one of them. But uh, uh, when you come out of the other end of it, it makes a dent in the food supply. And, uh, you know, it's used for feeding livestock and cattle and poultry and that sort of thing, where it's 
So the ethical issue becomes you're going to make fuel out of it or you're going to make uh, food out of it. And if you look at the whole chain of ethanol production, starting at the very top, you get 40% of your corn crop going into it. You buy the tractor, you buy the combines, you use uh, natural gas to create fertilizer, which is a major component of fertilizer. Um, you, you know, do the normal field preparation that's necessary um, with a fuel that's already good. And funny thing, farmers don't use ethanol in their tractors. It'd be a nice closed loop deal. It'd be a real deal for them. You know, just turn this right around and put it back into their equipment. But uh, they use diesel fuel to produce the corn. Then you have to harvest the corn. You transport the corn then take, uh, you know, the various inputs, drying the corn, uh, storing, and then uh, convert the corn to ethanol. And then, of course, the story now, that, you know, they've got some feed stock that comes out of ethanol for livestock. But problem with that, uh, it's kind of like, um, uh, you know, it's a feedstock and there's some nutritional value in it, but animals can't survive on this stuff. It uh, is like a filler material. I always say it's um, kind of like uh, gasoline is to, uh, or ethanol is to, uh, uh, it, it, in effect, it's like uh, eating oatmeal and substituting sawdust in the oatmeal. There's some food value in that sawdust, but you can't sustain life on it. That'd be an extreme example there. Now, there are other sources of ethanol out there, right? Right, but they don't amount to anything. The key is in this stuff, industrial quantities. You can make ethanol. They make it, you make it and it's still at home, uh, but it's not in the quantity. It's kind of like the, you know, the other biodiesel <coughs> thing where they take oils that come out of the back of a fast food restaurant, for example. It's one thing to do that with a vehicle or two, but it's quite another thing to fuel a whole fleet in the country. I it, used, it just doesn't work. I used to live in Brazil, mm -hmm. country Brazil, for four, mm -hmm. four years. And mm -hmm. during the time we were down there, a major portion of the economy, the automotive economy, mm -hmm. was 100% alcohol. Mm -hmm. our, our car was 100% alcohol, mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting. You drive into the city, you can actually smell it. Yeah. It's kind of a sweet smell. That's to a it. different animal in Brazil. It's heavily subsidized. It's mandated in Brazil. Um, and they also produce it from sugarcane, which is a better source of ethanol right, than fuel cane. corn is. Mm -hmm. so there's, it's not a, an apples to apples comparison there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, anyway, so the lobby, the, the, the ethanol lobby is very strong. And they've got a lot of tax breaks over the years. They hoot and holler about oil companies. Um, they don't get any different tax breaks than any other big corporation, like a Caterpillar building tractors and so forth. But ethanol initially, there was a huge tax break on the federal motor fuel tax. Uh, that went away just a few years back at the state level. Um, it used to be the sales tax rate in the state of Illinois was reduced by 30%. Let's say the sales tax rate was 8%. Um, you, you buy a widget or whatever at the store. If you have gasoline with 10% ethanol, the sales tax rate was 70%, 8%, about 5.6%. That uh, subsidy still exists. What's happened on the federal level, that subsidy went away. It was a little over a nickel a gallon, which is in, a, in the business and the volumes we sell, huge money. Actually, for ethanol, that was a nickel a gallon gasoline. They had one-tenth of a gallon of ethanol in it. So really, for a full gallon of ethanol, that was like a 54-cent subsidy. It was a giveaway at the federal level. The feds took that away. Then they put a mandate in there and says, you must use ethanol in the fuel supply in the U.S. So that, that piece is in there. Strangely enough, Illinois, with their sales tax break, even though the feds say you have to put the ethanol in the fuel, Illinois still has that sales tax break in there for an incentive that is totally unnecessary. You run the numbers on that in a state that's broke, total financial mess, that loss of sales tax revenue is good for a quarter of a billion dollars. So why do we still have that? Nobody's paying attention to it. Most consumers don't know what's buried in that cost of gasoline. 
they're unaware of these kind of subsidies that go on in the background. And uh, I've actually written a letter to Rauner, and I got a reply. Uh, we'll consider it. But uh, what will happen will be framed as a tax increase, which basically is the reverse is true. It's a reinstatement of a tax giveaway that was uh, that was out there. So um, it, it's a crazy quilt patchwork uh, uh, situation there. Do you ever see yeah. that going away? It, it's got to get somebody's attention and power down there first. And, you know, of course, we had a very, very strong ethanol lobby in Illinois with All ADM and the farm lobby. And uh, it may stay there. There's no reason for it because the ethanol has to be in the gasoline based on federal mandates anyway. It is just pure giveaway for nothing. Who loses? Taxpayers. As per normal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and basically taxpayers are unaware of these kind of things that are going on in the background. Now, one of one of the economies of scale for the oil industry is pipelines mm -hmm. uh, for transportation. Sure. Uh, does that exist at all for ethanol? You cannot ship ethanol in pipelines. When you it, say you cannot. You cannot. It, it, ethanol doesn't mix well with any water. And all pipelines, all storage facilities, we have a small quantity of water that sits on the bottom of the tank. Like in our storage tanks, we have 12,000-gallon tanks. You could dump 50 gallons of water in there, go straight to the bottom, and pick up for the tank. Uh, that actually pulls the fuel out of the tank is way off the bottom of the tank, uh, like a foot. So it would be harmless, and you'd pump it out. It, it doesn't happen because we watch that stuff very closely every day. But with ethanol in the fuel, the ethanol water mix, suddenly you've got a 12,000-gallon batch of fuel that has to be disposed of. It, it, uh, it's not usable where the gasoline would be because it, it doesn't, mix with, uh, doesn't mix with water at all. So, so when you say you can't do that, can't have pipelines. Yeah. It's for technical reasons, not, right. it's legal, not legal reasons. It has nothing to do with legal. You could probably build a pipeline with haul ethanol only and store it in, in tanks, but it uh, they, they just can't run the risk of that. Ethanol is predominantly hauled by truck. In our business, in our service station, it's actually injected into the fuel at the loading rack at the terminal where we buy our fuel. Gasoline comes in from the refinery to the, the wellhead or the, the tank farm. And uh, it's injected, uh, the 10% is injected right there. To get that ethanol to the terminal, has to be hauled in the trucks, like from the, the distillery down in Pekin or various distilleries around the area. goes in in trucks, or if in California's case, uh, they have what they call unit trains. They're huge, long trains, tank cars on them. And that stuff's shipped to California and to the West and all over the country to, uh, to handle that requirement. Very expensive, uh, and it's... Uh, it, it, it's a very costly way, and there's also a higher risk with shipping by train as opposed to pipeline or truck. I think in, in the minds of a lot of people, there's this perception that ethanol is a way to protect against, for example, uh, uh, I can't talk, global warming, mm -hmm. climate change. Yeah. Is there any? The net result of ethanol is greater energy usage than what comes out of it. And, that, you know, and that's all through the whole supply chain. Uh, you know, the distillation process uh, adds heat. You know, you go down to peak in there, they, they, they fueled with coal to, to uh, run the distillation process. I think recently they've converted to natural gas, taking a, a high-level quality fuel like diesel or natural gas and converting it to a, 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 a not as high-level, not as high-quality fuel. And uh, so the net result, you know, globally, problem. One of the interesting things, a couple of things that I find interesting about ethanol, if you look at the EPA ratings on cars for fuel mileage, you go and look at the testing process that's done. All those EPA tests that you see are done without ethanol. It's pure gasoline. All right. Yep. So if you test it with gasoline, you know, based on what you see in consumer reports and lab tests, probably a typical car would lose one to two miles per gallon using that. So it's uh, one of the 
crazy little outcomes that nobody talks about or one of the... I didn't know that. Yeah. That's pure gasoline is what's used by the EPA for car mileage testing. And, you know, it's mandated in virtually all the fuel supply. They should be testing with ethanol or show the results of both tests. Mm -hmm. That would uh, clearly point to a um, a loss of fuel mileage that the consumer can't measure. It's basically, again, a a lab test situation to track that. So on the one hand, you have the government pushing for higher fuel mileage. Mm Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you have them pushing for the use of ethanol, which lowers fuel mileage. Right. Yep. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, this doesn't add up. I guess it's kind of like know, tobacco subsidies, right? Interesting. You know, you look at emissions that come out of cars, they measure four emissions, typically carbon monoxide, unburned hydrocarbon, so forth, that come out of the cars. But since they've added ethanol to the fuel, there's, a, and I'm not a chemist, but there's a class of chemicals called acetaldehydes that are not nice, that are byproducts of combustion and ethanol. That's not measured. So they don't, uh, they haven't changed their measuring mechanism to, to address what's being used currently in, in, uh, most of the vehicle fleet in the United States. Would you like to speculate as to why it's not measured? Mm, nobody's <laughs> aware of it. You know, nobody's aware of it and doesn't point to it. Well, we can't say nobody's aware of it. Right? Very few are aware of You're it. You're aware yeah, of it. Right? Yeah, I'm aware of it. Just not something that, uh. It's commonly discussed and general unawareness of it, but, uh, and also it takes somebody with a good organic chemistry background that understands that process of, you know, the whole combustion process. And those people are pretty rare. Hmm. But is there a possibility if they, if they measured it, might be in trouble with that. They might be in trouble. The emissions are there. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So on a national level, there seems to be still a very, very strong ethanol lobby. Oh, yeah. Is it strictly the agricultural it's everybody up and down the supply chain. Uh, the big ones, the ADMs are behind it. Uh, um, anybody that's got an ethanol plant certainly is behind it. Um, it's, it's looked at as creating jobs, but uh, I like to say you need um, you need manufacturing jobs, not manufactured jobs. <laughs> and uh, um, the ethanol piece is part of that. You know, and, and I've got close relatives that are farmers. You know, in the area here, and they farm corn heavily. They love it, but it's uh, it's essentially welfare for them. Mm-hmm. and uh, 40% of the crop goes away, or the demand for that crop goes away, it, it definitely wouldn't help them. They, it'd be sold some way or another. They'd adjust to other other crops besides ethanol. Mm-hmm. But uh, Is there any other country that does that, the ethanol subsidies and such? I mean, if we talk about Brazil, yeah, they have a mandate for alcohol. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? That you you know, I'm not sure. I think some of that goes on in Europe, but I'm not really sure. I'm very aware of Brazil because... Uh, their situation down there with sugar sugar cane being the source. Over time, they've uh, put barriers in place to make it difficult to bring ethanol from Brazil into the United States. That 54 cent subsidy I talked about earlier didn't exist for uh, for Brazilian ethanol. Another little uh, quirky thing, you know, in Illinois, we have that uh, 20% reduction in the sales tax rate if ethanol is in the gasoline. But the corn comes from all over the place. It could be from Iowa, Indiana, could come from Missouri or Wisconsin. So here's this subsidy going into this as a result of, uh, you know, Illinois' deal, but it doesn't ensure that the corn comes from Illinois. And there probably is no realistic way to do that. But that just doesn't make sense at all. Boy, you start, this is one of those situations, I think, when you start talking about there's so many interlocking mm-hmm. interests and subsidies. and how, do, how does the average person ever make sense of all that? You, you just simply can't as an average person. There's just too much going on in the background. Uh, just a few people are aware of it. And these are the ones where, you know, you can put some extra bucks in their pocket and politicians are quite happy to help that situation along, you know, in this sales tax break. There are many other breaks and grants and subsidies 
that are out there for this product. But the, in Illinois, that sales tax break is a big one. Now, you can, in a few places, buy pure gasoline, right. correct? You can. And Brett has referenced that in the past. Mm-hmm. What's that uh, website again? Uh, it was pure-gas.org. Yes. pure dash gas gas Say, say that fast 10 times. Pure-gas.org. Yep. Um, <laughs> One of the interesting things, you know, the demagogue oil companies, and I'm not a fan of oil companies. I've dealt with them all my life. And um, they... Um, you own any stock in any oil companies? Nope. Don't own any stock. And I have some BP stock, which wasn't a good one at one time. But <laughs> but uh, uh, over time, the way the oil companies have adapted to ethanol, um, nobody knows this, but it's in my bill of lading. I can prove it any time. If you added 10% ethanol to gasoline, you get a bump of about two points in octane rating. So to make regular, what the oil companies have done is they've come up with a sub-regular of 84 octane that's made <laughs> specifically for blending with ethanol. It brings it up to 87, which you see at the pump. If you buy premium without ethanol, you go to several locations around town here. You buy premium without ethanol, it's 91 octane. They put ethanol in it, brings it up to 93 octane. So the oil companies are able to produce a lower cost product in response to this requirement for ethanol, nobody knows about it. In the, in the old days, when they first came on board with it, you had regular and premium. Regular is 87. They would add 10% ethanol, and that made it 89, which is a mid-grade now. But in response to that, what they do for the mid-grade, they actually mix ethanol, some premium, and some regular. That happens at the pump uh, with blending pumps. So oil companies, they're sitting back there quietly. Everybody demagogues the oil companies, and they're bad guys. They get all these subsidies, but oil companies... Fine. You know, they basically worked around it by being able to produce a lower cost product. I'm surprised the oil companies haven't purchased all of the uh, ethanol making companies like ADM and so forth. Uh, ADM actually, I think is and some of the big ethanol guys have gotten rid of some of these companies because they, they, I think they view it a long term, maybe being shaky. That whole business almost go away with a pen stroke. Mm-hmm. It, it almost go away. It's that uh, I've got one employee whose husband works in one of the ethanol plants around here and he said, you know, it's, Good job. It's okay right now, but you so, just never know tomorrow. So do you think ethanol will become a campaign issue? I mean, it's typically a campaign issue in certain states. Yeah, well, it is in the primaries. You go in, you know, the Iowa caucus is a big deal getting started. I know one one of the candidates, I think Cruz, came out against ethanol and still won in Iowa. Mm-hmm. But usually if you started in Iowa and you started down the wrong path with ethanol, it was the death sentence for your campaign. But mm-hmm. uh they don't have the, probably the influence now that they did at one point. Did either Trump or Hillary uh, say anything about ethanol? I don't remember. I think pretty much everybody's on board with it. It's just a political reality if you're a bad guy. Except Cruz. You, yeah, Cruz was the only exception in it. Mm-hmm. But uh, McCain was an anti-ethanol person, and um, um, he saw the light. He mm-hmm. uh, switched over when he got to Iowa, I think, in the previous campaign. Bob Dole's Mr. Ethanol in Kansas. He's the big pusher behind it. Grassley and Iowa are big pushers behind uh, the ethanol thing. So could we say it's kind of an example of corporate welfare? Period. Okay. That's it. Absolute. Yep. At its very best. When are we ever going to get away from that? I don't know. It's, it's just crazy how that works. Probably never. Yeah. Loser, and this is really a taxpayer. That's mm-hmm. it. Or loser, the person pulls up to a gas pump and, uh, and no choice of the retailer, uh, you know, it's a whack on 3 to 5% of their mileage on gasoline. Now, individual gas stations, mm-hmm. like yours, others, do they have a choice no. of doing it or not doing it? Or? An independent would. Um, <clears throat> our location, uh, it, it's in the fuel. There is absolutely no choice on it. An independent or a smaller operation. You take, for example, uh, 
um, the location and the heights it has ethanol free premium. That's the only way it comes. Um, they, they have the option of buying all regular, all premium or mixing the two to make a mid grade with or without ethanol. They missed the sales tax break, which is, uh, is no small change. You know, a penny, a penny in our location, just as an example is about 12,000 bucks at the end of the year. So those pennies really add up big. And, uh, so anyway, there are the, the independents have the option of uh, selling. That's why you see Bex and Chillicothe sells uh, high V has chosen to choose uh, sell premium without ethanol, high V and Peoria Northwest. Uh, there's a location in the Heights. It's an independent location. It sells uh, gasoline without ethanol premium only. Yeah. And I'm not aware of any place where you can find just 87 octane gasoline. They lose that sales tax subsidy. It becomes not economical. Well, that's a problem because as we've talked about before, if, if I want uh, pure gasoline for my lawnmower, mm -hmm. where do I get it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're saying you can't. You can. You can find it out there, but it's premium probably to pay two seventy a gallon now for it. Interestingly, there in a lot of airplanes, you can get um, what's called a supplemental type certificate, and that allows you to put pump gasoline in the airplane. You know, a lot of antique airplanes and that sort of thing use it, and, uh, and it's legal. But it cannot, ethanol is absolutely forbidden. Two unintended side effects with ethanol increase takeoff distance <clears throat> because the engine doesn't develop full power and a decreased range based on the specifications supplied for the airplane. So it becomes a safety issue there. So you, you see that used, you go to an airport, they, all the fuels are without ethanol. Typically, you go to a marina, they're without ethanol. There are storage factors associated with ethanol. You get lawn equipment, for example, it's sitting a long period of time. It'll pick up moisture over time and then create a, a problem with the fuel system and carburetor on that. And you can pretty much verify that. You go to any small engine shop and they basically don't use it, period. But what and choice do you have? That's it. Without making a special trip elsewhere to find it. You know, you go to the, find, go to the pure gas, pure-gas.org site and find a location that uh, doesn't sell ethanol. Some people have high-performance cars and they prefer not to use it too. And sometimes older cars don't like to get along with ethanol. They weren't built to tolerate it. That's probably a key word there. New cars work fine on it. They built to tolerate the ethanol. Then the car manufacturer had a chance they wouldn't use it. It just uh, it, you know a customer would see better mileage. Mm -hmm. It just kind of makes you mad, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that this has worked its way mm -hmm. into the fabric of things, and it's got feelers kind of worked its way. Mm -hmm. and, and to pull it out, you, you just can't do it. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't say you can't do it. Yeah. The probability is of it happening is yeah. as close to zero as you can be without mm -hmm. being zero. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy business that way. Mm. It really is. So that's why Beachler's does not offer... Uh, pure gas, right? We do. Yeah, we do not. We, everything we have has ethanol in it, and not by our choice. It, it's required by Shell Oil. So you're tied into Shell, so. Mm -hmm. And you late. get it with any major. Um, I know the Beck's location in Chillicothe, which is a Phillips operation, has premium without ethanol, but that'd be that customer choice. Shell could, but you get into some interesting problems. Uh, in our location, this is one of those background technical things. We have two gasoline tanks. And we have one diesel fuel tank to make uh, one tank has regular. The other tank has premium. If a customer chooses mid-grade, it's mixed in a roughly a 70-30 ratio at the pump to create that 89 octane mid-grade. So if we, with just two tanks, it's not viable for either have ethanol or you don't on all products. There's no choice. 
So you're kind of caught in a catch-22 situation here where you use the two tanks and you do the blending, which is pretty common in the business. If you find like a Bex and Chillicothe, they'd have a regular tank and they would have a premium tank and uh, uh, they would... Um, mix, you know, to, to make the mid-grade, but the premium tank has to come out of a, a third tank by itself. What about all these huge, huge truck stops you see? Like, if you're traveling on the interstate, you see mm -hmm. the huge that's got 20, 30, 40 stations. Mm -hmm. Do they all, are they all pretty much tied into majors so that they have to? Yeah, you'll, you'll see ethanol. Um, just, um, the, the regular is almost a niche product now, regular, just pure 87, and it's it's priced accordingly. Uh, between it being a niche product and then the ethanol, the sales tax subsidy uh, makes it difficult to, you know, go to pure ethanol or ethanol-free gasoline. Now, you mentioned automotive uh, design has changed to mm -hmm. accommodate this. Mm -hmm. um, what about small engines like lawnmowers and chainsaws and that kind of stuff? I just say ask any small engine shop. They just, nope, not, nope, don't, don't want it. It's carburetor problems. But look, want, you look at in a small engine, the passage is in those carburetors, incredibly small. They have no tolerance for... So you, you don't see any design changes coming? No, it's not, it's not a design. It's a storage and ethanol issue there. And uh, um, to some extent, is eth ethanol slightly corrosive? Gasoline, diesel fuels typically have some ability to lubricate. Not a lot, but it's, ethanol is purely a solvent there. In fact, there was an SAE study going back about 30 years um, they took engines and they very carefully measured bearing weight, you know, main bearings, cam bearings, that sort of thing. And then they would run the engine with gasoline uh, and then other test engines with 10% ethanol. And they found bearing wear that was much greater with the ethanol-fueled mm. engines. Mm. Wow. So it's, a, it's one of those things nobody ever sees, but um, nevertheless, it was there. All right. Well, thank you very much. Believe it or not, 30 minutes has so gone quickly. by. Yeah. <laughs> it goes live quicker than you imagine. Yep. So thanks for joining us, Terry. It's been well, a pleasure having you. Greg. Hopefully you'll yeah. come back again to talk more about mm -hmm. history and so forth. So. Sure, glad to. All right. Well, okay. this has been uh, uh, 30 Minutes with the Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. PeoriaLife.com.